This morning, let us uh, prepare ourselves to hear from God's Word. I invite you to pray a prayer that we uh, pray together as a community just to remind ourselves of the importance of not only the Word of God, but the posture with which we come to hear and listen. So let's pray together. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the Scriptures are read and your Word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. Mark chapter 10, reading from verse 46 through to 52. Then they came to Jericho as Jesus and his disciples, Jesus and his, as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. In the message, it says, It's your lucky day. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Over the last several weeks when I have preached on the particular gospel passages in Mark's gospel, I have expressed to you this idea that Jesus in Mark's gospel, in the second part of Mark's gospel, is focused on Jerusalem. His ministry in the first part of Mark was kind of about who is he, and is he a Messiah, and kind of presenting this idea that he may be. But in the second part of Mark's gospel, we start to hear what kind of Messiah he would be. There was expectations and hopes that many Israelites had placed on Jesus that he would perhaps politically and, 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 and geographically restore Israel to their prominent place that they felt they deserved. And the Israelite sentiment about the Messiah was varied, but they, they held something in common that Jerusalem would be the city from which this new kingdom, this new power would rule. When Jesus is walking to Jerusalem, uh, what he is going to do there is not what his disciples necessarily think is going to happen or should happen there. In fact, we know Jesus in the previous chapters repeatedly had said, I'm going to die on a cross. I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to be, uh, you know, uh, uh, beaten. I'm going to hang on a cross, but I will rise again. And, and every time Jesus teaches his disciples about this passion, this death, this necessity of the cross, every time there's a counter story that tells us they just didn't get it. Uh, one of those stories is that the disciples are arguing amongst themselves, you know, who is greater in this new kingdom to come. 
We get the sense from the disciples that they see Jerusalem as kind of the new political seat, and they were hoping that together with Jesus, they would have the power and the control. They would rule. And as I talked to you last week, I said that James and John, they, they kind of also reveal this, this idea that we want to sit next to you when you have power so that we can share in your power. But Jesus goes to Jerusalem for a far greater reason than the expectations of his disciples and even the crowds. And it's interesting to me that Jesus knows what's coming, and we know the Garden of Gethsemane is coming, and we know this would be hard for Jesus, but there's the singular determination that governs the text. Jesus is moving to Jerusalem, there where he would be crucified, where he would be rejected. And I would want to say this to you, if I was on course, if I had this significant task ahead of me, I find it interesting that en route to Jerusalem, this kind of inclusion of this interruption kind of happens on the way there. You know, if Jesus is carrying this incredible weight of what he has to accomplish, it seems to me, at least in God, Mark's gospel telling, that I would kind of say to myself, now, now why would this kind of interruption, and Jesus allows this interruption to happen on the way to Jerusalem? I don't know if you're like me, but if I have something to do, I get very frustrated when I'm interrupted. Can I, anybody else? Amen. <laughs> and what frustrates me even more is when others cannot see that I'm going somewhere. Uh, you know, I, I, I guess all of us can feel that kind of strain and sense of when we, or especially when we feel where we need to go is really important, what we need to do is really important, no time for interruptions, but we all have those people in our life. And by the way, those interrupting people are sometimes God sent. Not always, but sometimes. But our text comes to us in an interruption that I believe teaches me something so profound, so important, so significant. A man named Bartimaeus, the only man healed that is named in the Synoptic Gospels, cries out to Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And he's immediately told, let me translate the Greek for you, shut up. This man, however, is so desperate. He's so desperate that it not only forces him to cry out to Jesus on the way to Jerusalem, that he raises his voice in the tension of being told to be quiet, and he cries out, the scripture says, in an even louder voice, Son of David, have mercy on me. And then these words in the text that just gives me goosebumps. I'm already excited because I know where it's going. You're not, but trust me, it's good. <laughs> Jesus stands still. I'm glad he did. You see, when I'm going somewhere, don't interrupt me. Can I, can I be very honest with you? I hope you don't feel weird, me being dishonest. I'm getting better at discerning what I say, by the way. I think I'm, I'm on good grounds here. When I sit in my beautiful office, I have two windows. I can see you coming. <laughs> and if I'm being inspired and I'm writing a sermon, I'm going, I, 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 Lord, 
please, don't, don't let Carly come in the door today. I, I, I love her and all, but let her not interrupt me today. I, I, I wrote to, to Brenda, a decoration, uh, decorative uh, person for us in the church, and I said, could I get a blind? And she said, Pastor, you don't have to have a blind, you know. It's good for you to have blinds. People can see who's with you and all of that. I said, it's not for that. It's just to make sure people can't see me when I'm trying to work. Please don't take this the wrong way. I love you all. I guess the point I'm making, there are times in which my agenda, what I need to do, is very important to me, and I don't want to be interrupted. I think it's interesting that when Jesus is interrupted, that he stands still. And I think when Jesus stands still, he is about to do something on uh, significant, not only for the person interrupting him, but for those who are following him. It is as he stands still that he speaks to the crowd, the very crowd that says, shut up, Bartimaeus. You know, we ought to ask ourselves why the crowd does that. Why does the crowd say to Bartimaeus, be quiet? I grew up in Cape Town, South Africa. It is a country that is incredibly beautiful, but it also struggles with incredible social ills. It's manifest when you drive in Cape Town, in downtown, you'll see people begging at almost every street corner. They are children, moms with expectant babies. And if you live there long enough, this is what happens. If you stopped every time someone begged, you'd never get to where you want to go. If I was to plunk you out of your Canadian context and put you right next to me in the seat, the passenger seat, as I drove south, through South Africa about 25 years ago when I still had hair. And you saw me pull up to one of these, we call them robots, so much cooler, it sounds like transformers, but we, we mean tra you know, traffic lights. And someone came to the window and knocked on my window asking for something, you would see I do what the calloused kind of thing that happens in me gives me a propensity to do. If I see it long enough, I see it too much. If it just seems like the problem is far greater than one, two knee is going to solve, I tend to kind of become blind to the knocks on the window. I wonder if the crowd in saying, hey, Bartimaeus, be quiet, had seen enough Bartimaeus begging, had seen enough people with need on the road to Jerusalem, which was common practice, had seen enough people that kind of do this thing, that in their minds, these people are to be ignored, these people are to be walked past. I wonder if the reason the, quiet says be qui the crowd says be quiet is because the interruption might, might, might kind of, you know, disturb them from what they hoped Jesus would do. Remember what I said to you earlier, that they, they kind of following Jesus with this kind of political hope in mind that when he gets to Jerusalem, we'll reign with him, we'll be in power, we'll be in control. So, in, you know, just to put it quite frankly, hey, Bartimaeus, shut up, we're on our way to world domination here. Hey, Bartimaeus, be quiet because... Our agenda for Jesus is taking place. <laughs> you know, whenever Christians make Jesus just about their own agendas, they actually exclude people along the way. Whenever our hope is anchored in a Jesus that is just there for me, but not there for others, 
We become like the crowds. People become inconveniences. Interruptions are not opportunities for transformation, but indeed it's interruptive to what we want God to do. I think there's probably more reasons why the crowd responds this way, but can I suggest to you today that I'm glad Jesus stopped? And so should we. It is when he stops that he says to this very skeptical crowd, call him to me. The scripture explains he throws off his outer garment. Cultural historians tell us that this is the garment that blind men would throw before them. It's kind of the offering plate. It says he makes his way to Jesus with enthusiasm. You know, in fact, let me pause for a second. Before he makes his way, when Jesus says, go and call him to the crowd, the same people who said, be quiet, according to Eugene Peterson, who passed away this past week, and who gave us that wonderful gift of the paraphrased, the message of the Bible. They say to that man, it's your lucky day. And this man responds to Jesus and And Jesus rewards him with healing and says, your faith has made you well. And the story goes on, the story goes on that that he gets up, he's healed, and he begins to follow after Jesus. You see, I'm happy Jesus stopped that day because I believe that he healed more than just Bartimaeus' blind eyes. I think for those discerning and now following, he challenged them to look at life differently. To see what is easily missed when perhaps you grow up in a world and when you see enough things horribly wrong and you care, when you see enough people suffering and you become overwhelmed, the choice you can make is to just pretend that these things don't exist. The choice you can make is just to kind of say, well, I can't really, really make a difference. And so if I can't really make a difference, if I can't really think, see things shift, then I, I'm not going to, be, to, to, to kind of open my life. I'm not going to be open to what God may want to do through me. I'm not going to see these needs because it becomes too overwhelming. I, I've spoken to people over the years who, 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 who have this deep passion to see justice in our world. And whenever people develop this deep passion that comes from God to work with people that others ignore, to, 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 to be sacrificial and to go after what God is calling them to do, there's always others who resist that because whenever that happens, it kind of unsettles the reality. And these men, this crowd, they, they, they don't want to be unsettled by what is happening. They, they'd rather just choose to pretend that Bartimaeus and Jesus should have no association. Nothing should happen here. But Jesus calls Bartimaeus and gives him what he needs. He, he heals his eyes. When I was talking to Pastor Ryan about this, I said, what is the preaching path, Pastor Ryan? Help me. You know, that's why I hired him. He's super smart. I said, help me to think about this. And I don't know if it was him, but I'll credit him for this. And especially if it turns out to be a good point, then Pastor Ryan gave it to me. That a good question to ask in the text is, who am I in the text? Am I Bartimaeus or am I part of the crowd? Now, if you are here today and you feel like Bartimaeus may have felt desperate for God to do something for you or in you or on your behalf that you know you need to have him done, 
and you're crying out, but you feel that the voices that calls you to be quiet is stronger. Maybe you feel unheard today. Maybe there's someone amongst us that's dealing with something desperate within you. I think Bartimaeus is incredibly desperate. So much so that he doesn't care that you just told him to shut up. He cries louder, Jesus, because there's something that Bartimaeus knows about Jesus. It's kind of like his moment, his recognition that if, if he passes me by without touching me, I will continue to be blind. If he goes by without me having this moment, I will continue to be a beggar. But all oh, the desperation that comes out of the deep need leads him to cry out to Jesus, have mercy on me. And Jesus does are you not glad that Jesus agenda includes Bartimaeus shouldn't ours if you're sitting here this morning perhaps you feel that desperation you feel unheard you say Stu I don't I don't know if people know what I'm dealing with I don't know if people know what I'm going through sometimes the most well put together people are dealing with stuff you and I never know they're dealing with I always say to somebody, if they get upset at somebody else and they kind of go, well, who do they think they are? Not you, of course. You're all good people, actually. I'll say there's always a story. There's always a challenge. There's always a pain. Don't be, don't be quick to judge people. Don't be quick to, to put labels on people. Some of you sitting here, you know, you, you're going through hard things right now, and you're Bartimaeus, and you're saying, I need more than what anybody else can offer me. I need God. I need God's hand. <laughs> the good news is, he responds. In fact, as I was preparing this message, I became so desperate, I became so desperate in my office as I listened to the text that I found myself hunched over my desk, desk crying out like Bartimaeus, Lord, have mercy on me. I wonder to this morning, if, if there is someone like that here today, that, that I don't know what you're dealing with, and I don't have to know, but God does. And, and, and you hear this preacher speaking about a, a Jesus that stops and makes time, even though he's going to the cross, for somebody that needs a touch that comes from God alone. Then I want to say to you, you're in the right place. Can I be as bold as to say this? Don't let moments like this pass you by. You see, I, I, I'm silly enough, idealistic enough, and optimistic enough to believe this, that God is still able to heal like he did then today. Bartimaeus becomes for us the prototype of a good disciple, someone who has such deep faith that despite the crowds, despite the opposition, he calls out to Christ to have mercy on him. But... Perhaps you're sitting here and you say, Stu, yeah, you know, I'm not Bartimaeus. Let me ask you this. Are you a member of the crowd? The crowd are the kinds of people whose personal agendas are so important that there's no room or time for anybody else to interrupt it. The crowds are those who wants a personal savior but does not want a Christ who dies for everyone. The crowds are those who say, don't bother Jesus with your problems because, you know, Jesus doesn't care about people like you. The crowds are the kinds of people 
who may deeply care about our world, but has kind of thrown their hands up in the air and says, I don't see anything changing. The hope in the text. Did you see the hope in the text? Bartimaeus has his eyes opened, and the shushing crowd becomes the messengers of hope. They go from those who say, don't interrupt, to Jennifer, it's your lucky day. <laughs> they go from those who, uh, who perhaps for the first time begins to see that this Christ will pause for someone that they would not. So, when I preach, when I preach, I think about questions I should ask us. One of the questions is, are you Bartimaeus or are you a part of the crowd? You know, I was convicted deeply last week, again, by Pastor Ryan. Whenever he talks to me, it seems to happen. I'd like to give him a week off so I can have no conviction. <laughs> you have this week off, Pastor Ryan? You have this week off. Uh, as I was talking to him about this text, I... I, 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 thought to, I said to him, I said, you know, we as gospel preachers are, are men of hope. You know, when I preach and I, I preach to you, and, and if there's any conviction that comes to my preaching, any challenge to your life, I hope you see that as kind of a, the way that a loving God disciplines his children or corrects his children. We know that love comes with discipline, love comes with correction. But also the responsibility I have is not just to to tell you, you know, we may miss the point week after week, but it is to encourage you to know there is always hope in Christ. And the hope in Christ is, is that he can open eyes, not only of the physically blind, but of those who spiritually don't see what they need to see. That the very same crowd who says, be quiet, becomes the ones who say, today is a good day for you. I wonder if we were to think about this text and think about our community, if we look through these windows and we think about the people that are visiting with us and you're not a part of us, and we ask ourselves the question, what is God calling us to do as a community of faith? I, I think, first of all, I think God is inviting past some of us to do what Jesus does. By the way, not every interruption is of God. <laughs> Let me just put that out there. But when you allow, you know, God's Spirit to kind of soften your heart and open your eyes, you begin to notice things and notice people that perhaps you've overlooked. I bet you anything that in your workplace or in school or in your families or in our community or even in this church, there are many who feel overlooked. Those who feel, I don't have a voice that is heard. I wonder what will happen to this church. You see all these empty seats? We have more of them. I wonder if we would start to not only see people come because we have a new church, but we see people come to worship this God because he's opened their eyes so much so that week to week, we, all, we, all we want to do is get together with others and say thank you. Thank you that you have had mercy on me. 
I wonder if we become the kind of church that does everything in our power. Listen to me now very carefully. I know this is a different message. Everything in our power to not quiet the voices of those who are crying out for help. I wonder what church will be when we become such messengers of hope. This morning, as I celebrate a birthday, it's out there now, I may as well run with it. I'm in the stage of life, I guess, where they talk about midlife crisis. Fact or fiction, some of you say. Based upon what I've seen some of your behavior in this age of life, I say fact. I started to feel that strain, you know, uh, kind of in the second stage of life where you start to say to yourself as a person, what does my life amount to? What is it? Is, is there substance to my life? Um, I, I, I've read a, a gentleman named Richard Roy. He's a Franciscan priest who wrote on, on, on this two parts of life. The first part of life, we are very concerned about building our own lives. And it says the second part of life is for those who follow Jesus, you begin to come, become very concerned about how your life helps to help others. And we're also in a new season in this church, and so I feel this convergence of perhaps a midlife crisis in the midst of transition. I don't drive a red Ferrari. I guess I can't do a different hairstyle. It's all I have. Uh, I'm not going to take up any crazy hobbies, although sometimes I kind of just go, you know, I, I feel like I need some change. And, and I've been praying a lot about this, and pray for me as I kind of go through this transition. Oh, I didn't mean to be so open about all of that, but anyway. <laughs> but the one thing that I've become even more clear about in these last few months and perhaps this year is that God has called me as a pastor to proclaim the hope he has for us in this time and in this place. And you know what I realized as I sat behind my desk? Unless that hope grabs me, <laughs> could I be exegetically profound but without any substance to my life? Because if he is who he says he is, then it needs to show up in me and it needs to show up in you. Is there room today for God to interrupt your plans? Your focus? Is there room for others? Can you start kind of like the dental assistant who wears away on that plaque? Ooh, I love and hate them, don't you? Yeah. If we have anybody here, I love you today. But. It's to wear, you know, just to, to break through perhaps the callus that we build up because we just want to stop hurting because hurting is not fun. And allow the Spirit of God again to break our hearts for what breaks His. I wonder this morning if we can become a community of faith that is so filled with hope that when we do ministry and when we speak to others, it just comes up.
You know, I, I, I said this to our leaders, and they, they may say they never heard me say this, but you won't be surprised to hear they only listen to me half the time. I said to them, I said, the way we lead has a lot to do with our words. And so, you know, in life sometimes when, we, when we're always looking at what's wrong, what's missing, what we don't have, <laughs> I'd like to invite somebody to join such a community. Hey, come with us. We're always unhappy. We're always not content. But when hope starts to filter in and, and we allow the Holy Spirit to work, may the words we speak be words of thanksgiving and praise, hope. Realistic, yes, because we're not perfect. There are challenges, there are shortcomings, but friends, they pale in comparison to the one who died on that cross in Jerusalem and was raised to life eternal so that we too may share in such life. Not just one day when we die, but today. To God be the glory. Great things He has done, He is doing, and He will do. That very same Jesus invites us this morning to respond to Him in honesty, confessionally, so that we may be who He's called us to be. Let me pray. Father God, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the incredible privilege that I have to preach it. Thank You for those who make this church what it is through their giving of themselves and their resources and their time and their expertise. But dear God, I pray that we would never miss why we exist. That our view of what you want to do in our world becomes bigger than just our lives and it moves us to notice and to take notice of those who cry out for mercy. Dear God, I pray that if there be someone here this morning who is crying out for your hand of healing, your hand of mercy upon them, that they would recognize that as they take a step of faith towards you, that you will not push them aside and that you will be faithful to your word. So I ask, that your grace would be sufficient for all of us, that you would have mercy upon us, and that you would grant us your wisdom as we seek to live the life you've called us to. In Jesus' name, amen.